This is a content warning. This episode will discuss food and um, eating disorder and body image at some point. Um, I kind of flag it when it comes around, but in case that's something that will trigger you or that you're not comfortable listening to, I would suggest skipping this episode or maybe just listening to the beginning and coming back next week. Voila! Sit back, relax. You're listening to the Lazy Procrastination Podcast. I'm Sophie, and this is The Big Sleep. Hi, welcome to another episode of The Big Sleep. Um, this is the third episode of the Homeward Bound series, and we're going to talk about everything food. And I say we because I am not on my own today. I've got a really great guest, my friend Rosie. Rosie, why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm Rosie, a friend of Sophie's and a um, food fanatic, I suppose. <laughs> I feel like that's why Sophie's asked me to do this. Um, but yeah, I suppose I've worked in food for sort of like seven years as my um day job and it have just always been pretty manically obsessive about food so yeah I've got a, I've got a lot to talk about <laughs> Rosie was just the person to go to we worked together and she was the person to go to if you had if you needed a recipe or if you wanted what you could cook for anyone who's coming to dinner so I thought she was the perfect person to interview for this and I guess first question is or I thought a good question would be if I ask you to think about home What's the first like dish or taste that comes to your mind? Right. Well, I've I've already thought about this quite deeply since you asked me to do the <laughs> podcast. And unfortunately, there isn't one thing. I have a list of about 20. It's fine. Give but, me the first five. <laughs> okay, the first five. The first thing I thought of was macaroni cheese. I don't know. Macaroni are quite British, I suppose, in what they cook. But this is maybe the one thing that is more American. But it was a Nigella Lawson recipe that my mum used to make. And it would always be on sort of the coldest, winteriest, winteriest, not always, <laughs> but just well, the coldest, deepest, darkest winter nights. And like, she wouldn't even say she was going to make it, but you'd just come home from school and be like, oh, mum's made macaroni and cheese. Um, so that really makes me think of home, especially in winter. And it's to this day, like one of the most comforting things. Yeah, I feel like pasta is that. Mine is, it's I've that. also got one that's like pasta where it's, well, my mom's not a recipe person at all, but she had this one thing, which was, it's pesto pasta. It was farfalles, the butterfly ones with yeah. pesto, really good tuna, tomatoes and um, fried pine nuts, not fried, wow. or not even nuts, but that was just like what she would make. And sometimes I remember like some evenings would just be like three evenings in a row and my sister would just, we just want pesto pasta. Yeah. And she was like, sure. And I didn't cook it for a little while when I moved out. And then the first time I made it was like same deepest, coldest, grimmest day in the mm. UK. Like it's been night since 3 p.m. And I was mm. working on that essay. It just made that food and I felt like I was at home. It was just yeah. so nice. But yeah, I feel like you know, pasta, pesto is another one of mine. Fresh oh, pesto. good. Yeah, that was on the list. And I think it was, yeah, I, don't, I think, I don't know, it sort of killed it for me when I became a nanny when I was like 20. And I realized that all children adore pesto pasta, pretty much like there's a few that don't. But it's like a go-to, easy, you know, generally from a jar from the kids I nanny because it's like quick and I get them in, feed them before their parents came home. 
but it's killed a bit for me now. But as a kid, homemade pesto was just, yeah, like top, top five meals. I'd always ask for it on my birthday. Um, <laughs> you know, like proper, proper homemade pestos. You can't really beat it, can you? No. Um, but yeah, pasta, so pasta features. But then also like things like toast, crumpets, anything with a lot of butter and marmite yes. is big. Like it would be the come home from school. I went to a school that uh, you had to wear a blazer and I never forgave my parents for it because you had the choice of like a kind of synthetic blazer, which everybody mm-hmm. bought because they were easier to clean. You could put them in the washing machine. I think they were cheaper. It was like the cooler option. But my <laughs> mum bought all of those, these like 100% wool blazers. And so, and I think she did it because she was like, it's a natural fiber. They, they look nicer, like God knows. <laughs> we had to wear these really like embarrassing wool blazers and then obviously in England it rained pretty much the whole of autumn and winter and you come home and when it rained on these blazers they stank it was like wet sheep smell because it was just literally sheep's wool and so we come home sometimes we need wet heavy wool blazers and immediately make toast crumpets butter marmite tea that would be like your home. That's a comforting one. Yeah. Over. Toasted, yeah. toasted bread, some butter on top, salted butter. I've got a lot mm. of things where I feel for me it's also just ingredients and stuff. Like when I moved here it was so I my friends are always making fun of me because I import ridiculous amounts of food. From really? France. What kind of thing? Yeah. Well I bring so tins I don't eat much meat or fish or anything, but this really good tin tuna mm. in olive oil is something that is I, I bring. It's what? It, what's the brand called? It's called Connetable. I don't, it, it doesn't exist mm. here. Right. Um, and I would just, it's the one we would buy, but like, as in I'd never seen, I didn't even realize tuna was a, a common thing when I was a kid because mm. it's the only one I'd ever seen in the house. I'd never seen another mm. brand, nothing. So, and like tuna can be pretty disgusting if it's, yeah. like it, it, it can be really good, but it can also be really bad. And so when I moved, that was one thing where I was like, no, I need this. But also just in general, like spices. My mom uses loads of, she makes, oh, I say my mom because I mostly grew up around my mom. Like most families, um, she was the one who cooked. So my dad cooks a couple staple recipes, like mm. curried chicken with cream and <laughs> rice. That's like what my dad would make. And that's what my sister would ask for all the time. Yeah, my but dad like, has like a few yeah. staple recipes. Like there's a running joke in our family that when... <laughs> We were kids. If it was dad's turn to make dinner, every time he would be blank for ideas. But every time he'd say, hey, what about sausages and tomato pasta? As if it was this revolutionary idea, when in fact it's the only thing he cooked for us. He'd hate me saying that because he would make a good roast, but like that was his go-to. And I find it so funny because for my, like I know for my sister, it's really something that she will evoke as like a memory. And I remember mm. one... We're chatting with my mum and she was like, that's crazy to me because cause my sister was like, oh yeah, like when we were kids and we, like, do you remember sometimes like that would make cream chicken and my mum would be like, he cooked that on the weekend, but he also like, it's pretty much the only thing he cooks. So the way she remembers it to my sister is this really like novel thing where she's like, oh my God, I really miss chicken with cream. And it's like, I was trying to innovate and you would just want the same thing. But yeah, That's it was, so sweet though of your sister. It's, it's so oh, yeah. with her relationship and like her warmness and like thoughts about your dad. Like, I think that's oh, really yeah. sweet. It's really funny and it's really like kind of over. It's like she overwrote all of her memories with mm. this one dish, which is really mm. funny. 
but yeah, in general, that was something. And actually, because we're thinking of like parents cooking, that's something I thought about. Once my mom said that she didn't like to cook, and I remember being really shocked because I was like, I, but you cook every day. And, and she was like, that's why I don't like to cook. I really liked cooking when it was something. Well, she didn't say it like that, but she was more like, I don't always like to cook, but I have to. And that's why it's annoying. And then that's something I've been thinking about loads, how, when I guess like that will be interesting to talk about with you because you're kind of in the same position. Like we don't have children. We don't really have to cook for someone else. So I feel like it becomes almost like this novelty. Like I'm really happy when I have to cook for more than one or two people yeah. because I'm not, I don't have to do it all the time. And yeah. I like to do complicated stuff just because I never, like, yeah, I never do it's it. So I'm like, oh, wow, fun. Exactly. But yeah. then I wonder how that changes when you start to have to cook for everyone all the time. So, because you were saying like homemade pesto, even that's like complex yeah. in a way. I do wonder because, I've I've got a, a funny thing where, so I, I'm from a family of six, there's six of us, yeah. and I, from maybe the age of 14, I sort of um, bartered with my mum uh, and, and like bargained and negotiated to be able to cook twice a week for the family because <laughs> I desperately wanted to cook dinner for everybody. And I don't know why she'd be so reticent to let me do it, but it, it was kind of hard work. And then, and then she let me and I got like Tuesdays and Thursdays or something. And those days of the week I would always cook. So that just became habit. And then I cooked more and eventually I moved away when mm. I was maybe 19 or 20 and lived on my own for a while and became so depressed and depressed is a strong word, but so disinterested in mm. cooking and food. And then Ooh. probably was a bit depressed because this huge love of my life kind of disappeared and I didn't know why and I just couldn't bear to cook for one person just for myself because they're kind of like the sort of ritual and ceremony of it and the sharing of it was gone Mm. and and I've sort of learned that about myself as I've as I've grown older that Mm. for me the special and fun bit of cooking is doing it for big groups of people specifically Mm. I do I do wonder if that would day if I then had like by obligation had to do it every night to fix people because no one else was going to eat like I I don't know but right now I feel like I'm always going to love it (laughs) yeah I know (laughs) but I do feel like it's always like it's interesting to think about because you're like I know for my um I feel like people's perceptions of cooking so like you you always get in your habits and you get into so for you it's like the ritual for me it's like I never eat out of um, the pot or like a Tupperware or something like I always was thought to plate things up because even if you're making the most struggle meal in the world if you plate it up then maybe you're gonna feel a bit better <laughs> that's Absolutely kind of how I felt growing up 100 percent like <laughs> like I couldn't agree more I'd even go as far to say like I, I like to light a candle which is a bit yeah. it's a bit far but you know evening meals it's like a lovely, my mum does it and it's such a, it makes such a lovely moment of the food. And it, what I also hate, I feel like there is a time and a place for eating in front of the TV. Like sometimes yeah. it's exactly what you need. You just want to like <laughs> tune out, shovel food in your mouth and like not <laughs> like pay attention. But yeah. doing that on a routine basis really gets to me because mm. especially if you've put time and effort into making food, I want to kind of give it the respect and the time and the attention I want to like talk about it with the person I've made it for I want to like you know like yeah like properly focus on like the food and sit at a table so I can't I really hate like like I'd never eat on the tube or that just creeps me out number one like it's so 
disgusting on the tube. I mean, I don't think anyone would eat on the tube now, but yeah, like that, putting it on a plate, sitting at a table, all of those things kind of add up to. See, that's something that I that I find so interesting, like these days, because I think on the one hand, people have real, or maybe I don't know if they've realized, but it's like a lot of people don't have a choice. Like, you know, if you have two jobs or whatever you have, or like, I remember at the beginning of the year when I was working, like when I was working at the wing and then I had to go to yeah. uni, the only place where I could eat was the, the tube, but that's become yeah. so normalized. And like, to the point that I know I'm, I always find it funny because being French, um, we we have kind of ritually, I mean, probably not all jobs, I'm assuming that traders don't do that, but it's ritual that you have at least one hour to go for lunch if you work yeah. and like there's a whole thing and I just realized how when I started seeing my friends like starting to work here and stuff how it was almost um it was more common to have a lot less time and to like grab a sandwich at Pret or something and like even when you ever walk through the city and it's lunchtime everyone's just queuing outside yeah. of places to get sandwiches and go back and then I was thinking that you would think that it would be better working from home what everyone has to do now but actually people probably end up what eating as they work instead of actually yeah. taking a break and that's yeah. it's like just eating away at your personal time but I feel because at uni everyone remembers like if you've or at least what I did like was writing essays and stuff so you can very much do it obviously you wouldn't necessarily eat in the library but if you were in your room it would be like eating would be taking time out like wasting time almost so if I was if I was on a deadline it was like no I'll just eat while I like I need to cook. Cooking was wasting time because I could always eat in front of my laptop, but I couldn't cook in front of my laptop, if that makes sense. So like, oh God, I have to find something. But I still wanted to make nice food also just because like um, reheatable food is more expensive. So as a student, I was better off like buying food and cooking it for myself. For sure. And it, it was yeah. just like, I just kept thinking about that, how people probably end up yeah, having to just like work while they eat, like that's also taken away from you because now you're working from home. So what's the excuse? You can't. Yeah, yeah. I think it's funny. I started working from home mm. in May Yeah. Um, with a new job. And at the beginning, I was really strict about closing my laptop and eating a meal, you know, even if it was like 10 or 15 minutes. And I, I was actually quarantined at the time, so I couldn't go outdoors at all. And I hadn't seen another human for like, I was there quarantined for two weeks. And, the, but there was thankfully a tiny little balcony in the flat I was staying in. So I could sit on, you know, open the door and sit kind of outside-ish. So I would always do that for lunch. And I uh, made the real point of it. But actually as the months have gone on, I don't do it anymore because there's some weird guilty anxiety complex around like, what if someone slacks me in that 15 minutes? And I don't reply for 10 of them. And they think I'm like, you know, wasting time asking about because there's, there's such little accountability when you work from home. You know, like you can technically work your absolute arse off for five hours and then not do anything for the other three in the day. Or you can work at a slower pace of eight hours. But the, the rule of thumb is like, get your work done and do a good performance. And we don't really care how you do it. Like I, I think in general, when you work from home and, and there's so much trust involved that I think yeah I I have slipped a bit but it's it really is important I think for your product I find anyway to me my productivity my energy and my focus is much better if I properly take a break and then come back to it like all guns blazing than if I kind of try and half do both yeah I agree also just in general it's something I think for me it feels like it's almost um <laughs> I didn't like yeah no it's not it's not funny it's a worker's right like it's just a right to be able to have 
some sort of structure in your day like even I remember like when we worked well, not when we worked but like when I worked in hospitality at the beginning like this year and stuff all of these like the Way breaks back when of, we worked in hospitality so <laughs> like you were like when we worked in hospitality because it's <laughs> funny isn't it it's like it's like you know that was a year ago now I know and it's so weird because I feel like because of everything that's happened it does feel like the last time that we were really like free and outside (laughs) that's what my life was and I've moved in like I keep saying stuff about my job and my friends are like what do you mean your job like what what?" and I was like yeah when I was way back when when I was doing my master's and also working and I'm just like it feels so odd because it hasn't been the case for a long time but I know yeah it's over it's what seven or eight months now yeah it's insane but at some point we did have that and we were so lucky like in terms of breaks and stuff but I just remember chatting with the couple of my friends that had that job and it's like even if it's terrible hours and terrible everything you would get that break with a meal like that's something that would happen whereas then yeah again like working from home and stuff and I agree with you because you want to be accountable you're like I need to show that I'm working and I have so few opportunities (laughs) I don't want to miss one yeah exactly I mean work is so precious now as well that you you know if you've got a job you want to cling on to it like you know it's such a scary job market at the moment that that I think that feeds into the feeling of like there's no time there's no time to eat you just power on but it is it's kind of common sense isn't it it's one of those really like obvious things that people tell you that like you know take a proper lunch break but it is it's one that's true I think it's easy to forget like I think it's so easy to, I've always been not always but I think there, like there's so much around food that obviously is so interesting to talk about in terms of like class and who's able to like enjoy a meal and all of that but I've always been surprised I think when I was chatting with some like realizing that some people just don't care about the food they um, like you need it something that really struck me because I was like it's the first it was kind of down to you right because if you wanted to <laughs> not care you would just like go to haul or like order some food and or like not really eat or something and yeah. I you kind of almost had to like hang on to no I want to I want to have a proper meal at least once a day yeah. um and it's it's kind of almost like not impossible I wondered like what was it for you when you moved out because you said you kind of stopped you just didn't want to cook for yourself so was yeah, that well, it was that a, yeah it was a funny journey from when I left school because I originally got a job in America um, well, a job that took me to America when I was 18. I didn't know that. Um, did you not? Yeah. No. I, um, I worked as a PA for an actress. And oh, I moved wow. to LA when I was 18 and I lived with her. And she was on a very intense diet to lose weight for a character, for a role. Um, and uh, I've got to be ca- very careful about what I say so I don't get sued. But basically, we I lived with her and her family and I had to eat the same way that she did. And it resulted in me developing really strange attitudes towards food because I really looked up to this uh, person I worked for. And I, so I sort of started to mimic her behaviours and like, you know, take on her um, sort of likes and dislikes and, and patterns of behaviour. And, and really, it was nothing to do with what I liked. I was just trying to please her, do a good job, be liked, you know, all of those sort of very, like, desperate attempts at, at being an adult when I was really just a kid. Um, and then I finished that job when I was 20 and moved uh, to London on my own. And I sort of just had forgotten, like, everything, of, of, of like, what is a normal breakfast and what's a normal dinner 
and get, like combined with the constraints of being so poor. I mean, I had no, I think I didn't have a job for the first three months and I had this small amount of money I was trying to live off that was just disappearing. I had no idea how expensive London was when I got there and it, it really knocked me sideways. And then the first job I got was um, working as a baker for Morangos and I'd have three shifts a week and they'd be from 5 p.m. until midnight um, on like Monday to Wednesday or something, like really weird, like annoying shifts. And, and it was, it, it, it really messed with you because if you were working until midnight and really getting home at one, then as you would know from like working hospitality, what you eat in the day is just a bit messed up. Cause you're like, do I eat dinner or are we having lunch? Like it's all a bit skewed. But I figured it out. And then actually working with Morangos, through working with them and then meeting friends and met all my friends through that. And it all sort of rolled into the, you know, next thing. And then, my passion for food completely was ignited by working with Mangos because their food culture in the bakery was so brilliant. Eventually we moved to a bigger bakery and we started working normal hours. It was like nine till five and every single day, honestly, I, I forget how amazing this was that every day, each of us that worked in the bakery would put two pounds into the kitty for lunch. And then at lunchtime, well, at 12 PM on the dot, we'd all have a conversation and say, what do we want to eat? And Stacey, who co-founded the business and at the time was there, she's left now, but she's there. She'd be like, she's from New Zealand, I think it's a really bad Kiwi accent, but she'd be like, uh, I want something fresh and zesty and lamy and um, rice, maybe some rice. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but she'd basically give me like four words and I'd be like, great, okay, we're going to have like a Vietnamese rice noodle soup um, mm. with like delicious grilled tofu and some fresh green vegetables with lots of like chopped coriander and chili and sesame oil. And then I go out to the market with my 10 pounds, which was the budget for the day. And I get everything I need for 10 pounds, come back and then cook until one o'clock. And we'd all sit down at one and we'd eat between one and two. And then we'd get back to work. But it yeah. happened every single day. And we were in this brilliant kitchen with like every piece of equipment you could ever need. Mm. And it just kind of brought me back to life with food. Oh, yeah. And it was great. That must have been incredible. Like, that must have been really fun, actually. So fun. I could barely believe I was getting paid to do that for two hours of the day. Like, go (laughs) to the market and pick all the things I wanted and then come back and cook for five women. And then we'd sit down. And we would go hard. I mean, it was embarrassing how intense our lunches got at one point. Like, we'd be (laughs) making, like, bao buns or, like, homemade pizza. And, like, you know, we'd make pasta from scratch and do fresh pesto or... Like, you know, we really went in and we'd always sort of pretend that we were like sort of recipe testing it or something. But, you know, it's just because we were all really interested in food and eating well and we prioritised yeah. it. Um, that's, yeah. that's so interesting. That made me think, because when you were talking about your first experience when you were working as the PA, it made me think, obviously, that like everything we're kind of talking about, I think it transpires that we now have a quite healthy relationship to food and eating but like one of the reasons like when you're able to do that it's also if you yeah if you like have a healthy outlook which is so which can be so difficult especially exactly. if you're a woman or if you're like raised and socialized as a woman when it's just or as a girl where it's, it's like healthy. on the one hand you've got pressure to be healthy you've got pressure to be thin but you're like not too thin and just yeah it's just something that you, you develop so much and yet it's all so tied to food as a 
it's crazy how political food is and how little we kind of like admit that I find in the world because it's it's on the one hand it's all with like gender norms and gender roles and it's like yeah you, you're supposed to just like food because you can't show that you don't want to eat too much but also how dare you put on like some weight that was so interesting during lockdown as well how people were talking about how they were terrified that they were going to put on weight and how for a lot of people that's one of the first thoughts that came to their minds um which makes sense given yeah. all the injunctions that we have around us but it does I think that's so true it's all about the people you surround yourself with and <laughs> being that that job in America when I was 18 I was you know with a, a woman who was a lot older than me who was being told to lose weight for work and so that mentality is just fuck <laughs> and then the, the flash forward to being with Moran girls I was surrounded by five women who were healthy like like none none of them had bad relationships with food and I just haven't really ever met anyone like that they, like they were all sort of just passionate about eating things that were delicious which most of the time tended to be healthy but it wasn't the focus was not let's make sure there's not very many carbs in this meal but it's still delicious it was just let's get the best quality sourdough bread we can and some really beautiful tomatoes and have for chef's lunch because we want it and because it's summery and it feels fresh and delicious and and then probably we'll eat something a bit like dinner but like no one's talking about it and and I think there's also a thing I remember noticing when I was sort of a teen but then getting older and into early adulthood was that I noticed a lot of women around me would do a thing where they would almost over egg what how much they ate to be to sort of impress be be like I don't don't really know how to describe it but almost like competitively making out that they weigh more than they really do whilst maintaining an amazing figure yeah that's something I find fascinating because there's a lot of that around um, French people. And there's a bunch yeah. of books that I've seen that are sold in the UK that are like, how do French women look so amazing whilst eating bread and croissant and all of that? I've read one of those books. It's like there's one and it's this woman who's American yeah. who moved to Paris and she wrote one book called Why French Kids Don't Throw Food. She wrote another book called Why French Women Don't Get Fat or something. Yeah, people do have a fascination, don't they, about the French? And and I find it also fascinating because on the one hand, it's not that true. It's like it's very again, it's like looking through such a tiny lens at what French people are. It's like why do middle to upper class white women in Paris not get fat? And like it's like because actually they don't know they're not stuffing their faces with croissant every day. That's like that's not how it works. But there's this sort of so it made me think of that when you were saying like kind of overplaying or there's this sort of fascination where it's like, oh you can eat as much as you want but you're not gaining any weight. Um and how that becomes something that's like for this one at least, I know I remember there's something that you hear which is that I'm being careful. So it's like I'm not on a diet, I'm just je fais attention is that is what you say like literally translates to I'm being careful. Which just means that you're like watching what you eat but it's almost it's it's in a way where it's like no I'm not on a diet because diets are bad but yeah and it's like if, as if you were constantly yet on a diet so it's like I'm yes I eat chocolate but like I eat one square of it uh, it's just this thing of restraint which I definitely see um which you don't have with men at all because like <laughs> it's the same food but it'll be like because they don't have that pressure even though I feel like that's really changed actually because now there's the whole like gym culture and all of that so I think and I've actually noticed something else I'll have to do a like disclaimer at the beginning to say that we discuss those issues but I've got a couple of male friends who um, have gotten really into exercising 
And so they've gotten them really quite like restrictive, like counting calories and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think if they were, and so they quite like drastically lost weight and, but they're also exercising and I think they feel really good and that's what they wanted to do. But I kept thinking, I told them that, that if they were women, I think people would be really worried about, or like a lot more worried about them. Whereas because they're guys and it's kind of assumed that men can't have eating disorders, it's just like, oh my God, it's great. You got really fit, but it's as in to the point that they waste a lot of weight in a really quick time and also like gained a lot of muscle because they were exercising. But I found that really, again, interesting because it's like the, the way they, I remember I went for dinner and they were like, because they lived together and they were like, I, oh, I, I can eat this and I can eat that. They had like those really specific diets and they would just know like how many calories are in this or that. And so they would just be like, yeah, it's fine because for lunch I had this thing that has as many calories, like things that I, I personally don't know, but I feel if they were, yeah, if they were girls who lost weight that quickly, then they talked about calories like that. Everyone would say, oh my God, are you sure you're okay? Absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm really worried. Yeah, and I have a friend who did that, yeah. a male friend, and yeah. he he actually has spoken to me about how he was, so he had bulimia in the past. Um, and I think maybe he wasn't officially diagnosed, but he's, you know, categorically was purging and, you know, um, binging and throwing up and stuff. But he'd sort of moved through that, and actually his way of handling it now is to have a very strict, calorie intake and exercises manically and you know probably would still be described as having an eating disorder but maybe um orthorexia but I think like I think you're right oftentimes in men that can be perceived as something to applaud and that's sort of respectable and impressive like well done you've got got a great routine and you're really healthy and you've got your life together but yeah I think it, it tends to be far more frowned upon or or cause a concern when a woman Mm. does that very quickly do you I wanted to ask you do you I know we've really jumped now into like (laughs) body image and food but they're so closely linked and I wonder do you remember consciously when you were a kid realizing that the food you ate affected the way you look so not really because I think where I was really lucky and that's something I've talked about often with friends is that my parents both my parents um but my mum in particular because I think for a lot of my friends it was their mums who would say be careful and I actually saw that like even with some people in my family how their mums would be like are you sure you want more food my parents were often really focusing on like what you get from food so they would always say um like for instance we did we danced forever with my sister and at the end of the year you had the big show and we would always eat a big bowl of fast at lunch because my mom said it's so it's like carbs so it's low energy and you're going to be dancing until late tonight so you need to eat pasta so I never thought like I was like oh great pasta is really good for you because it gives you energy and then later on I realized that a lot of people thought well pasta is not it's carbs and it's gluten and it's just not good for you because it makes you fat basically but I think because it gave me that I didn't realize until really late that food affected the way you just because I was lucky that my parents kind of fed us in a way that as long as I lived at home, mm. um, I, food didn't really affect the way I looked because it was like if I had a growth spur or something, I would eat more. Yeah, because I was hungry and I would like, but I, that's kind of how it would feel. And the only moment where I really realized that was because I um, had anxiety, like really bad. Uh, the last year of high school and I went on the summer it was to America as well America's just really bad I went went to summer camp and so it was just and it was like the 
a sort of like uni thing we took classes and so mm. we were managing I, ourselves. I heard about this on your previous yeah in the episode, episode there you go yeah. so I was just like on my own um and so I just didn't eat anything because I didn't have to and I lost a lot of weight and then that's the moment where I kind of and then when I went home after this like month my mom was like oh you don't eat breakfast anymore kind of like just noticing that and I was like oh I, I, yeah that's true I'm not hungry and then because she would still make it for me and my sister I just wouldn't finish it. And it's, it kind of like kept going like that. And there I realized, because after that, when I started eating more again, I put weight back on, that it wasn't, it was good because I, I was just going back. But that's the first moment where I really like found myself fluctuating. But I think it's also a lot of your own um, metabolism that I just like, yeah. I was lucky growing up. Um, I did, And also I realized that I think my mom, again, something that she did really well is that she would never talk about how it would affect her. So I think at some point she tried to like lose weight and she said, I just, but she didn't go on a diet or anything. She was just like, I stopped eating. Uh, she was like, I used to snack when I came home from um, work on like bread. And she was like, I just stopped eating that and tried to and like exercise and stuff. So that's kind of always how it was framed at home. It was like, food is one thing and it's like, it can't be bad almost. It's, you need it. So you need to have a good relationship with it. And I don't think it was ever like framed like that, but that's really how I grew up to understand it. And then I would see it because it wasn't like sometimes with other people yeah, in my family, like the moms would be like, oh, are you, are you sure you want to take seconds? And, <laughs> and it was funny because my sister and I were like on our third plate because it was just really <laughs> good. And it was really healthy. My grandma just cooks fish with like potatoes. It's not going to, it might not affect you at all. So it was just, it was just so odd for us. So that, that, for me, that was that. But what about you? When did you realize? That was really long winded as well. <laughs> no, it's so interesting. It sounds like your family had such a brilliant relationship with food and I think it's so important when you're growing up to have that. Like, I think we we had a pretty similar situation. Our parents were less, put less emphasis on what we got from food, but it was more just food was a celebration. There was never, it was more like, please, can we have seconds? And they'd be like, it's all gone. <laughs> like, we just ate so much as children in my family. And um, we'd stay, every summer we'd stay with my grandparents for a week and uh, my grandparents, called us the gannet which is like <laughs> do you know the bird a gannet no, i it's just like, the way you said it <laughs> it's like some weird british it's not even weird it's a british bird called a gannet and they eat everything they're just like really hungry i think i, I don't <laughs> even know the reference but we were the gannets and, the, and they would just you know we just eat them out of house and home every time and it was always a very celebrated lovable quality for you know we, we it never felt like a negative thing but i mm-hmm. think when i got into teenage years and I was at school I think it was more my peers talking about their bodies in relationship to food and like I remember distinctly there being this one moment with my two best friends when I was sort of 13 or 14 where one of the girls was like yeah I do 20 sit-ups every day and my other friend was like yeah I do I do like at some in the morning and some in the evening and I was like what what are you talking about they're like, yeah, everyone does that. Like, everyone does a few sit-ups every day. And I was like, do they? Like, why didn't anyone tell me? And then I <laughs> was like, what? You're all doing this and you're not telling anyone? Like, that's not fair. Like, we're in this together. And then it suddenly became this thing of like, oh, my God, everyone's doing, everyone's like trying to have a flat tummy and, and but doing it privately and not talking about it. And then I just thought everyone looked like that normally. Like, it just hadn't even occurred to me that you would, put a lot of effort into making your body look a certain way and I think that's the thing that stuck with me throughout adulthood was like everyone's doing these all this stuff behind the scenes 
to try and look a certain way, but playing off like it's just natural. And that is what gets me. And I and so now I make a point of with close friends, not strangers, it would be really weird, but like talking about <laughs> that. So Excuse me, Sarah, I did twenty five sit ups this morning. <laughs> I'm interested to know what you're doing. Is it bar? No, but like it, I don't know, like now it's something that I like talking about with friends and stuff because I think it's just interesting more than anything. But um but yeah, it was probably like around that age and then it didn't leave me. Then it was like, okay. And I think then through probably like early twenties, mid twenties, I sort of got back to my love of food and I feel like I'm a much healthier spot now. Mm. But um, I think, yeah, now that you say it, I think I, I actually, what I said wasn't totally accurate because I didn't realize it for me until quite late, but I definitely was made aware that that wasn't the norm because of the same thing as you, because people would talk about being really careful and because you would know that, or you would see some people at school who would have eating disorders. So that's something that would like strike me. But even without that, just in general, people talked about almost more than they would like do in the sense that a lot of or quite a lot of my friends growing up or like when we were teens um would eat loads but they just would talk about being careful or like talk about I should start stop which is something again that I find so interesting because it's like yeah of course you want to eat loads of chocolate and greasy stuff and like because you're 14 years old but you've still internalized that like oh I probably should not yeah it's that mentality isn't it that's poisonous as well like my granddad always used to say I shouldn't, but I will about um, <laughs> literally like clockwork. His when we different granddad, but they, but that grandma and granddad would always have pudding. I mean, absolutely no questions asked. The main was like very old fashioned and British meat, two veg, and then the pudding would be something like crumble with custard or a cake or like full on, and we'd obviously love it as kids because we were like, yes, like we don't get this at home. We get a piece of fruit for pudding. But yeah. granddad would always have, I think he'd had three heart attacks at this point, and he oh, would wow. have cream with ice cream. So like <laughs> a crumble with a scoop of ice cream and then pouring cream on top of that. And I kind that of admire good. that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I admire it too. I mean, it did in the end get to him, but um, <laughs> it got him in the end. But that was I shouldn't, but I will mentality was kind of funny when I was a kid. And then I, as I got older, I started to notice people like one thing I really can't handle is people labeling foods as bad, like inherently bad foods and labeling foods as good or naughty um, or, you know, the, all of that kind of mentality, like the mentality of a cheat day, like all of those things sort of seem yes. really backwards to me. Cause I'm like, you know, chocolate is great. It's delicious. And especially like good quality chocolate with a high cocoa percentage like it's not bad or good it's just a delicious piece of food that you should probably not have loads of but like have a bit it's great you know like and I think it's also something that again when you label when we a lot of conversations around wellness and stuff do mention that but I always try to think about it it's like labeling things as good or bad always becomes a a sort of exclusionary because it's like well if you want to eat good food you need to eat all this Balls with quinoa and you know this specific spice that's actually not a spice it's a superfood and you need to have a nutri bullet because otherwise you can't make breakfast because obviously exactly. you have to eat your acai if it's not like that uh, and, <laughs> or like even just other things that I find that again is talked about loads but kind of this obsession with carbs being bad um I always think about that with Senegal and it's going to take like a tiny story but it's really interesting that, 
Senegal. And the food from Senegal is that it's um, now it's white rice with everything. But the kind of original grain that people cooked with was millet, I think is what it's called in English. Mm, Milleted yam. Yeah. Wait, let me let me find how you call it in English on Google. It would be Um, annoying if it was millet because that I don't know if people eat that. I know millet flour is a thing. As a soup. Oh no, it is millet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would might it be millet like, like seeds, flour. Like you would rice or boil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like seeds. It's like brown seeds. Like yeah. rice. I don't know if rice is a seed. <laughs> but that's what it looks yeah. like. Yeah. Um, I think it's called millet. And you would cook with that and then now you still do a little bit, but it's mostly white rice. And the reason why it's white rice is it's so interesting. That's where I said, like when you look into your food, it's so great. Because mm. France had colonies in um East Eastern Asia, like Vietnam specifically, or what was called Indochina, where they cultivated white rice. And so a lot of it was sold, but then they had some broken bits that you couldn't, like the lesser quality white rice, they couldn't sell on regular markets. So instead they would sell it to other colonies. And that's how millet was replaced by white rice. And really interestingly, a lot of people like, for instance, developed diabetes from eating loads of white rice when it wasn't um when it's not like kind of the staple food of the area and that's kind of how it changed and now it is um and so in this and i always think about that with like good and bad food is that in that sense it's not that like rice is good or bad but it's also that's just the staple food like you'd have carbs at almost every meal just because that's kind of how it works like you'd have it at least at lunch because you just have like rice and then a sauce with meat or fish and veg and that's how the, the meal is structured. Kind of just like here, it would be like one meat with two veg or like two Yeah, sides. it'd be like potatoes in England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Don't get me wrong, I love a potato, but yeah. Me too, no, me too. But sometimes I got, when I, again, when I went to uni, it was like, this, today we have this type of potato. Yeah. And it's served with what this side of potato. Sophie, <laughs> what's your favourite? iteration of a potato of potatoes Ooh, yeah. that's a really good question i yeah, think yeah. maybe my favorite like taste is um a thin like a nice french fry because i really like mm. that but kicked at home it's uh, sorry cooked at home it would be just like sauteed in a pan with oil a little bit of butter herbs salt and a bit of nice. pepper nice yeah. pepper pepper yeah 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 um it's really tough it's really tough call because as you say I think that's a great way of splitting it up I've never really been able to answer the question but if it's in a restaurant and then at home I guess I have and a proper fryer like an industrial fryer then it would be fries uh like thin french fries not too thin but like you know basically a mcdonald's fry yeah, me too. I was going to say it. And like double right? fries is my favorite iteration. Yeah, it's a McDonald's fry. Like they used to be so different good. now. I've yeah, because now they're less salty. And I think that's why, yeah. it, I mean, it's good for us, but it's not good for the taste of the fries. No, it's not good. I was pretty cross about it when that happened. I've not had a McDonald's now for probably a year, but I did go through a really quite intense period of having McDonald's a lot. And the fries, I, I remember it happening. They taste like heaven. And then suddenly I felt like I needed to add salt. And whatever MSG they were putting on it before, it, I mean, it's gold dust. But forget, if we if we put that to one side, I think it's probably a really brilliant, um, perfectly golden crisp roast potato roasted in goose fat and like parboiled. So it's fluffy, almost like creamy on the inside, but like hard as glass on the outside. Yeah. Sprinkled with That's salt. 
Yes. See, that's the thing. Like, all of these are technically, not technically, we know they're not, but like, those would be like bad foods. But I'm like, yeah. that's so much. That'll make you happy. And that's, oh <laughs> that's a good thing. Make me so happy. And like, for instance, it sounds so um, privileged and ridiculous, but we, I've just moved out of the city and I live in the country now. And me and my boyfriend are going to be here for the foreseeable, probably until there's a vaccine. And we're sort of like trying to find ways of making life and home cozy and enjoyable and you know creating new routines and patterns and we've decided that Sundays are like a you know really special day and we'll always rope to have a rope like I mean it's not it's not groundbreaking but like we've, we've started to do it and you know we had like a big roast chicken and roast potatoes yesterday and you probably would deem it like bad but it was so good and yeah. you know we went for a big walk and that, you know, I guess if you were thinking about it in that way, it would like cancel out or whatever. But it's not it's not really about that, is it? It's about like the, the way food makes you feel and the amount yeah. of time and care put into it and using good ingredients and savoring the moment and enjoying it and then moving on. And, you know, maybe not having a roast potato on Monday. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all about balance, isn't it? Which is so... Um, yeah. Like that's one really thing I wanted true. to ask you from when you were talking earlier is kind of how because you're an actress which I don't know if we've said that but how did that or well you're also right but I think how did like acting or having because that's really embodied in your body is obviously your kind of tool to work um how does that impact or how did it impact your relationship with food as well or like kind of how did you divide like okay home is something where I don't I can't think about my body in that way mm-hmm. or it's not I don't know yeah, or maybe yeah. not, maybe it's not that important to you, but I thought that when no, you were talking about Yeah. Yeah, no, it really negatively impacted me, I think, when yeah. I started auditioning and when I was getting an agent and I did a um I got my agency doing a showcase and there was sort of a ten week rehearsal period and it was I was really, really deeply stressed about getting thin. I was like, I have to be looking my absolute best on the day that they come and see the showcase because if I don't look categorically if I'm not in you know like as an actor everyone has a spotlight profile which is um spotlight is like the casting directory and you have to select certain boxes you're like of of what build you are and so you know I was really keen to be categorized as slim like that was like the that's where you want to be if you're if you're you know a woman and you're trying to get work and it, it shouldn't be that way you should be able to be any size and still feel like you're eligible to get work but the, what's drummed into you is literally by what you see it's like successful female actresses uh oh yeah quote unquote thin or slim or small and, and also just really fit like they have a really carved out body which you don't necessarily realize it takes work until oh good lord it. yeah it takes work. <laughs> and yeah exactly and that and that's the kind of assumption isn't it it's like oh they're just naturally that way it's like no so yeah, it 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 took a lot of work, I think, to feel okay and not feel a real urgency to eat less and move more. And I've gotten better at it, but it is really difficult going into auditions and being completely scrutinised on the way you look. Because often, you know, the first round of anything is just about how you look. And then the second round is maybe, do you really, you know, are you any good? And then, you know, it kind of goes from there. But it's it's usually like your first audition for casting is based on your height and your size and the way you look in real life and, you know, 
all of those things. So it, yeah, it really takes a lot to not internalize that when you get a rejection from an audition as I wasn't thin enough or I wasn't pretty enough or tall enough or whatever it might be. Um, because I think your self-worth is so closely linked to, yeah, like the way, well, just when you're an actor, I think, you know, the whole thing is so much about image. So getting rejections can often feel like your body or your appearance is being rejected, um, which is completely out of your control. So, you, you know, it, I, I think I got to a point where I was like, I've got to just let go of that because it's never going to change. Like I can't, I can't get my legs to be two inches longer or whatever it might be. Um, and I definitely haven't mastered it, but it's gotten better. But yeah, I think it, it inevitably re- uh, affects your relationship with food. I'm glad that it's gotten better. Um, I think we're going to have to wrap up soon. And I have a last question or like a way to wrap up, which I think is going to be great. Because I remember there's a little story. When we worked together, we were in the perch, in the cafe where we worked. And I asked Rosie what her favorite thing to cook was. And she said mm. a really long ragu that takes like four hours to cook and you have to add all those little ingredients and then when lockdown happened I texted her and I asked what's the recipe and I cooked it during lockdown with Sarah my flatmate and it made us so happy and I would I made it maybe three four times not that many times because it does take <laughs> it does take half the day um yeah and we had like to make tiny knives so it was like I had to chop everything to make the sofrito and it was it took me two hours already just to chop everything but it really warmed my heart and it was great and it was it really made everything homely and different and in oh, March when it was so happy. it was great so yeah. when we're all free and it's all great and you can have like friends over for dinner what do you think will make it'll make you really happy to like cook oh it's a brilliant question um I can't number one cannot wait for that moment And I think for me, it might be a lot longer because of me and my partner's situation. But um, we're fingers crossed, hoping that we might be able to get persuade members of our family to take a test and get a negative result and then come be with us and then they can actually stay in the house. So when that can happen, um, I think I'd go hard and make like a big Italian feast with maybe, I'd maybe begin with um, uh, frita miso, you know, like lots of fried fresh fish, calamari and prawns and cod cheek and maybe some herbs as well in like a tempura brasa with fresh lemon and lots of salt. A big, oh, it's winter though, isn't it? It lets just pretend it's in the ideal world. It's a really hot. It's really hot. So we're having lots of fried fish with lemon and salt and then a big tomato salad with lots of delicious burrata, with honey, smoked salt. Oh, I'd make focaccia. Focaccia would be part of the moment. Um, <laughs> but sourdough focaccia, which is a yes. game changer, I tell you. Uh, and then probably, I mean, it's it's a bit of a cliche now. We've talked about it so much, but probably like a very delicious fresh pesto, lots of spaghetti and pesto. Um, and then, I don't know, I'm not a big pudding person. Oh, well, you like homemade lemon sorbet in Ooh. a lemon you know like the italians do where they scoop yes. out the lemons and they put it in that with just you know copious amounts of wine probably yes i can see it oh. <laughs> with your homemade bread <laughs> i would love to be there yeah, absolutely oh. um yeah. i'm so glad you made that ragu and for anyone who wants to know it's um uh samin nosrat's 
recipe and uh, it's in her show, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, but it's also in the book. I always get the, the words wrong, but that, if, if I can recommend anything food related, it's, it's that book. It's incredible. I will go and put it in the um, notes because it's online as well. So everyone can do it. Oh, yes. Now it's making me want to cook some again, but I'm like, I know. <laughs> I'm like, no, Sophie, you have other things to do. You can't spend half of the day in the middle of the week cooking. <laughs> I'm giving you full sign off to do that. Baby. I know. So I'm already making bread. It's fine. The sourdough really? bread, that's something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm making sourdough. And that way I'm getting in like, all my flatmates love me now because I make sourdough bread. It, because it's going really well. It's my, I made it like a couple of times, but in the new house, I made one when I just moved and I hadn't figured out the oven. I yeah. hadn't really like, you know, I hadn't given it time to kind of accommodate itself to the new house yeah. almost. The first one was kind of, it wasn't, First, I guess my flatmates were so impressed because it looked like bread. Yeah. Um, but I was like, no, it's not as good as it could be. And then I made another one. It was perfect. It had oh. the crust. It was fluffy. We ate it in no time. Um, yeah, I was really happy with that. It's just, see, that made me feel at home. When I woke up before yeah. everybody, cooked it, and then I had fresh bread. I was just so, so happy. I've had exactly <laughs> the same experience in this house. Of try, I've made lots of sourdough over lockdown. I feel like I've nailed my technique. You know, mm-hmm. it's tough, but I think I can do it. And then I just spend all, you know, you spend a whole day making the dough. You really yes. put the time in and you get it really early, bake it the next morning. And I did that today and I haven't used this oven before. And it looks fine, but it's overproved. The base is not, it doesn't sound hollow when you tap it. You know, there's massive holes going on. And it tastes fine. It's like absolutely fine, but it's not. It's not great. So, fingers crossed, I can figure out the ovens and. Yeah, you will. And next time, you will be so happy again that it looked great. I know. Exactly. I just for me was that. I was like, I'm even happier than if I'd gotten it on the first go. Exactly. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> yes, please do. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. I think thank this is a great conversation, me. and I hope it's I get so to joy. see you. <laughs> bye Bye. okay and for everybody else i'll be back um and uh, yeah i hope you enjoyed the episode share it with your friends bye